0: This episode is a mic swap. It's a concept I came up with back in 2017 at the very start of Shareable. I thought, what if I shared the mic and let my guest become the host and I became the guest of my own show? This simple swap has allowed my guest hosts to take the conversation in unique and unexpected directions, producing some amazing, one-of-a-kind conversations that I never could have planned. The concept is so good, in fact, that plenty of my podcaster friends have taken the idea for themselves. So... I hope you enjoy this episode of Mike Swap.
1: Hello, I'm Jenna Harrison, and welcome to Shareable, the podcast where everything is shareworthy. So excited to be here with Jeff Gibbard, my guest. How are you, Jeff?
0: I am good. Thank you for having me, Jenna. I appreciate it.
1: Yes, yes, such a pleasure. So I thought today we would dive into some topics around your business. And mission and purpose and how you are doing this thing that you're doing. So first of all, just tell me: is is this something when you think about your big why? First of all, how do you how do you define that?
0: So my big why is I'm trying to create a world that is kinder, safer, and more equitable. And my method of doing that is by empowering and enabling and creating a world with more superheroes in it. Um, and I could define kind of what I think a superhero is and and all of that, but. I feel that if we empower people to do the right thing and we point them in the right direction, um, we'll have a better world out there.
1: Yeah. Could you probably, could you just give us a little bit of background on maybe some of the key events? If we were to look back and connect the dots, where those kind of questions were showing up for you, what led your brain to start mulling over those questions and then really develop that into a why?
0: Yeah. the very first bullet point on it would have to be that when I was a kid, I was like obsessed with Superman and like obsessed, obsessed, obsessed. So it was truth, justice in the American way. I watched the Christopher Reeves movies over and over and over. And there was so much in there about self-sacrifice and perseverance and things like that. So that was like a very um, salient sort of uh, role model that I had early on. If I had to pick a second bullet point of it, um, my uh, my dad very clearly had an issue with authority. And I think I, I very much kind of embodied that and also used that to kind of, um, he, he said to me, you know, find something you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life. So I've been pursuing passion and doing what I want for like my entire life. So never really gave much thought to authority. Anybody telling me what I could, couldn't do, always want to do what I wanted to do and find work that made me happy. So I think one, you have the kind of the values of being a superhero Two, you have the, um, Uh, you know, the kind of like no respect for authority and like the go try to find what you love to do. Um, And then I think being a a child with ADHD and at the time I didn't know it, but being on the autism spectrum, I felt very, um, very alone a lot through my life. And like I was trying to conform and constantly trying to uh, manage other people's emotions and expectations and had to, you know, constantly mask up to fit in where I didn't feel like I fit in. So you fast forward that all through my life and you get to like later stages of lots of failures of not, not succeeding what I want to do and getting to a point where I, you know, have just hammered away at saying like, this is what I do. And eventually it, it just kind of hit. And I just have been continually hammering away at those kind of like three events, um, in combination, and then there was also a traumatic story I've shared a number of times on other podcasts about um, my mom getting into a car accident on my last day of high school, almost dying. So there was a lot of like, life is short. You got to like do what you got to do and like make it mean what you want it to mean. So factor all of those things together, and I just felt like I'm here for a purpose. My time is limited. I want to make sure no one ever feels alone or feels like they aren't good enough for who they are naturally. And what would a superhero do? So it, it kind of all blended together to be this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so when you think of your clients, do they also have that kind of that interest as well deep down? When you end up talking to them, are they kind of like I want the world to be like that too?
0: You know, I don't think so. What I think people are drawn to is the energy. I think people are drawn they want to be like that. They want their work to be meaningful and impactful. I think that's what draws people in with that. Is they like the idea of creating a world that's more equitable, with more kindness, and that everybody has had an experience where they felt lonely or othered or something, right? So that resonates too. But I think a lot of I think for a lot of people, it's an, we had talked earlier in a previous podcast about two people experiencing a similar thing and remembering different pieces of it, right? So I think a lot of people walk away from a lot of those experiences and may take away hostility or anger or other things. Whereas I took away a lesson of making sure other people don't experience that. And I, I tend to think that when people come to me, they're excited by that energy and then they slowly over time realize that they want to do more and they want to be better to people and they want to have better relationships and all of those things. And and that's not to say like, you know, we're out here changing the world every day uh, with, with amazing results. Sometimes they're little baby steps, but I do believe that that's, that's, I don't think I'm drawing people who are already believers necessarily. I think I'm drawing in people that are, that want to be believers.
1: Oh, that's so beautiful. They want to be believers. So what was your first um, experience like with a client? First ever
0: experience with a client? Oh man. Well, this was back in the day prior to, like the current, um, uh, work that I'm doing, but my very first client, I actually had started a, the first, I'm going to call this like the first meaningful client in this story, but I had, I had a social media marketing agency back in 2011. My very first client was a client that came with me from the PR firm that I had just been fired from. So he was my very, very first client. So he was the first believer in me. He was like, I'm coming with you. And I was like, dude, I'm in a cab with my stuff on my lap. So my very first experience was somebody who believed in me enough that said wherever you go I'm going. And that gave me a push to do a thing that I thought I'd probably always do anyway which was start my own business. And you know I I really wanted to guide this person. This is actually very similar I think to a lot of the work I do now which is that I had higher aspirations for this person and the work that they were doing than they had for themselves. And this is a common pattern I think in a lot of my work which is people want to buy the widget And I want to change the world. And I'm trying still sometimes to bridge that gap of trying to connect those two things for people. Um, Sometimes I'm better able to do it than others. A lot of the brand work I do, um, I feel like I make some of the most meaningful impact because I really push people to think what would you do if profit was not on the table? Like, what's a thing that you care about so much that even if it cost you money, you'd do it? And those are questions that I think people are not used to answering. But because I'm sitting in the seat of like authority during those uh, exercises, they actually answer it and we actually get to something important and then they, they're able to then see how that could actually lead them to having a more successful and more profitable business yes. and at the same time feeling good about what they do. And I think those are the baby steps towards saying like, but just imagine how much further we could take that, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So good. So you mentioned then, or you were talking about that moment when you're in the cab, I love that visual and that person's coming with you and deep down, you knew you wanted to start a business. And it just reminds me of a conversation we had on an earlier podcast where we were talking about the confidence that so many white men can just wield so beautifully. And so tell us about your thoughts. Like if we were in the head of a white man who is thinking about starting a business, what is going on even in that moment, which we all got to admit, like we all have human brains and there is uncertainty and brains don't like uncertainty and fear, but how did you talk yourself through that?
0: So I think my um, method of it, I'm not sure it's the same. So there's probably two sides of it, right? Like on the one side, I think there's like me being brought up as a just standard white dude that. I didn't face too many systemic barriers. Um, so to a certain extent, you know, not taking that leap from from the standpoint of like, but what what are the things that could get in my way like systemically, like that wasn't a consideration, but that's not really like what, what was like the push, like, oh, you can do it. I explain it like this. So every once in a while, I'll be video chatting with my dad and I'll be stressed because I work for myself and sometimes I'll just be burned out or tired and I'll say, oh, I hate to see you stressed. And I'm like, dad, I'd be stressed if I had a job or if I work for myself, but at least working for myself, I get, it's my stress. I get to call it. I get to decide if I want to take off, right? So what happened was, if I, that's now, but if I rewind to that moment in that situation where I thought, I'm going to start my business, I said, well, I just literally got fired from a job. So there's no security there either. So what's the difference? The only difference is I can give this a shot and I might fail. And if I fail, then I'll pick something else. I've been failing this whole time. What's the difference? Right. So it wasn't so much confidence. It was just, I had nothing to lose. I had nothing. There was not another option on the table at that moment. That was really attractive. Right. I literally had just gotten fired. So it wasn't like I had an abundance of, um, you know, evidence. And that was after a job that I hated. I was at for two years. So it's like, all I had was uh, a track record of hating being employed and the opportunity to just give this a shot. And it'll either work or it won't. I don't know what I'm doing, but I don't like having a boss. So how bad could this be, right? And I was lucky enough. And this is a thing that I absolutely think that we do not talk enough about, enough about, and I have a blog post drafted. I'm going to put it at some point. But we have this idea that entrepreneurs are people that leap off of a cliff and they build a parachute on the way down. And that is absolute nonsense. Vast majority are actually people that are walking a tightrope that have a safety net under it. So I was married at the time to my first wife and we had a home and she had a good job. And part of the reason I was able to take that leap is because she was there to help support that. If I didn't have that, if I was like, I had rent to pay and it was my first, I probably wouldn't have done that because I didn't have any safety net and a health insurance. I so the lack of a safety net um, is something that I think stops a lot of people. I had that safety net. And in my life now I have some safety nets and those are things that allow me to take risks that other people can't. And I think that, um, you know, we, we talked again about white guy confidence. I think a lot of white guys have a safety net that other people don't. I'm not saying everybody does. a lot of people have awful situations, not painting with a broad brushstroke here, but I do think by and large, there's going to be a greater chance that you have something to fall back on. Um, and you don't have those barriers in your way. So I think that was another piece of it, which is that I also didn't have to think, well, what if I'm homeless after this?
1: Yeah. So let's let's fast forward now to another point in your business. And you're not starting a new business necessarily, but there's some kind of up level that you're about to take. Maybe you're bringing on a client and it seems like a bigger scope than what you're used to or mm-hmm. a higher level. And yet, you know, you're going to go forward with it. And there's still those butterflies, right? What was going on in your head then that told you that you could do that.
0: I really got to think about this one because I honestly don't have too many of those experiences anymore. I do have to go back a pretty decent way. So I've been, I've been working for myself since 2011, almost straight through with, with like one little blip in it. So I routinely took on projects that were bigger than we had ever done. And I don't remember when the switch happened, but I, I don't think there was a point where I said we couldn't do it because I, what I think part of what it was for me is that I discovered that what my thing is, what my gift is, what my superpower is, something I do very well, I see patterns and I can plan and break things into smaller steps. So when I pitch something to a prospect and they're like, yeah, I want to do it. I go, okay. And I take that thing and I map it out and I look at it over time and then I break into smaller pieces and I build a strategy around it. And then that's what we do. That's the marching orders, right? Right. The challenges I've always had is finding the person who can partner with me to implement it because that's not my thing. Daily, consistent chipping away at a, a thing is not my forte. So that's whenever there's been any butterflies, it's it's been about, well, who's gonna help keep this train on the track? And I think I muscled through it at early points in my career. And now I'm I'm lucky enough to have a business partner who is just amazing at that part of the business. But I don't often I don't often have that honestly and I don't know when it stopped but I just always believe that like I wouldn't have pitched it if I didn't think we could do it or if we could figure it out like I'm not I'm not saying like oh we'll build you a 747 I th- maybe this is part of it I don't actually pitch anything that I don't think I can do like so I don't actually sell something that I'm not good at or that I I can't actually do that's probably the secret to it I know my lane I sell stuff that's in my lane and I crush it I don't do anything outside of that and I am very vocal with my clients. I'm like, I'm not good at that. You can't buy that for me.
1: I love it. Okay. So let's continue on now to a future point in your business
0: mm-hmm.
1: because growth really comes through discomfort. Well, first of all, do you believe that growth comes through discomfort?
0: Not all growth, but yeah, a lot of it comes from discomfort. I think a lot of growth comes from success. I think a lot of growth comes from the celebration and the the, the neural pathways that you create after success, which may have... Uh, challenge may have preceded that, you know. Discomfort may have preceded that, but I've had a lot of things that I've done well, that I'm good at, and that were not remarkable challenges. But the success of it built and continued to help me get better and better at things. Um, so I I do agree that a lot of it comes from discomfort. A lot of it comes from pushing yourself outside. But a lot of my success has been leaning into strength. And leaning into strength is not particularly dis you know uncomfortable. It's actually fairly comfortable. Um, and that's how I got better at those things. I keep enhancing. The abilities I already have rather than trying to round out something I'm weak at.
1: Okay. So remembering that now, as you think about the next phase for your business or the next growth opportunity, the next place you're bringing your business to, how are you thinking about that? Mm. Other people want to be in your mind.
0: Similar to the thing I mentioned before about the discomfort is where I always get, I never get tripped up about ideation and vision and strategy and, and planning. That part, I, I, I'll I do that every day, all day. It's like breathing. Where I always get tripped up is, but how are we going to do it? Like who's going to do it? Because I will sign myself up for 250 hours a week worth of things, but that, that there's just not the time for that. So um, where I always get uncomfortable. And especially because I I think I'm a great leader. I am an awful manager, awful manager. Um, because I don't have the, I don't have the thing where I can look after something and watch progress and intervene when needed and support like that's just not come to me for the big conversations. Like, I'll tell you where we're going. I'll map out the, but like the day-to-day management is always my, that's my kryptonite, right? Like that's where, like, I am so uncomfortable. So when it comes to selling something to a client, as long as I have a partner that's going to make that thing happen, like we're good. So when I think about the growth of current, you know, I have several different lines of business. When I think about the growth of any of them, my biggest concern is, but like, who is going to do all of this? Because it's not me. And if I get other people do it, who is going to manage those people?
1: Yeah. Okay. So it sounds like building out a team might be your next up level in your business,
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean so in one of my businesses we have a team and it's growing and I have the person who's going to help grow that team. Um on my other side of things, it's like I don't really have that person, so it's kind of like I'm always looking for a clone of my current business partner. Mm-hmm. Um because she's just amazing. Um but that that's hard to find.
1: Okay. All right. Well, let's all hold that intention with you that you will be calling in that person soon and that that will help ease your your mind about moving up, but I love what you said about really believing in what you're going to sell before you sell it right that was one thing that we kind of pulled out from your brain that you just took as like well this is just the way i do it i just always sell what i already know i can deliver is there anything else if you think of something that is just so much a truth for you that has helped you succeed in business that you'd want to share
0: there's like a there's like two sides of this because they're kind of like, they have to come in a tandem or else you're just dealing in manipulation. But if you really truly feel that you can help someone and you really truly feel that working with you will help them benefit. And it's something that they sought you out for, or asked for but Like this is an actual genuine prospect and it's, it's someone who um, you know, you can help. So like we're talking about a real opportunity. Then, remember that people are buying primarily on emotion and they want to believe. And usually what they're being held back by is not the money. And it's, and again, you really have to believe that you're helping them. Don't take people's money if you're not going to deliver. But if you feel like you can help them, then it's your job not to sell them on the features and the benefits. It's your job to get them to believe that you can help them and to show them why you're the right person. And, If you do that, you should never back down from a sale that meets those conditions. You should be in that conversation. You should care about showing them why they should believe in you for that thing. My entire, and you should be willing to walk away from any sale, basically. But I, that has been my entire career in sales is I sell people things I know I can do that I know will help them. I will never take someone's money if I can't help them. And I sell because I make them believe. I make them believe because I know I can do it. So because I know I can do it and I believe in myself to deliver that, they then believe in me to do it. That's why they hire me. So if I were to look at anything that has made me successful, at least from growing my business and sales side of things, it's it's probably that.
1: Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the podcast this day. It's been such a pleasure having you. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Yeah. And everyone, this is Shareable.
0: So tell me, what was most valuable or useful for you in this episode? Send me a message or hit me up on social media. I'm easy to find, but there's links in the show notes just to make it easy. Seriously, I'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this episode, there's a couple things you could do, starting with subscribing to the show. And after that, head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate the show five stars and leave a review. Consider sharing this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. Or just buy me a latte or an old-fashioned by hitting up that tip jar. If you're looking for a good book to read, may I suggest The Lovable Leader, which covers how to build great teams with trust, respect, and kindness. It's built exclusively for brand new managers, and it's a handbook that will serve you well in your journey of leadership. Just search for Lovable Leader wherever books are sold online. And finally, if you're interested in working with me or checking out any of my other projects, go to jgibbard.com. That link, as well as every other link mentioned, will be found in the show notes. Stay safe, be kind, And seriously, share this episode with someone. I'll see you on the next episode of Shareable. Thanks for listening. This podcast is part of the Shareable Podcast Network. Learn more at shareable.fm.